Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. God is good. Everybody say, God is good. good. He's always good. Amen? Amen? He loves us and He has loved us with an everlasting love. His mercies are for us were new this very morning, according to the scriptures. His mercies are new. How how often? Everybody say every morning. Every morning. He gave us a new day, another Lord's Day, with our brothers and sisters and our closest friends. And he has given us purpose and drive to do good things. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. The last words of the Psalms contained in Psalm 150 shout out this proclamation for all of us today that men would praise the Lord here The word of the Lord from Psalm 150 is God calls us to worship with it. This is a psalm of praise. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Everybody say, praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, as we gather today, Lord, you are going to lead us into understanding what it means to praise the Lord. Lord, we certainly want to come before you today as your children, understanding, Lord, that we don't deserve to be here, Lord, that we, like the prodigal son, went away from you. We squandered all the goodness that you have given us, and that, Lord, we don't even deserve to be a servant in your house, but you, the loving Father that you are, Lord, when you saw us afar off in our sins, Lord, before we yet even cried out to you, you had mercy upon us. And Lord, instead of just pardoning us for the wicked deeds that we have done, Lord, you have made us your sons. You have placed a ring upon a finger and a righteous robes upon us and made us heirs, joint heirs with Christ, your good son. Oh, thank you, Lord. 
Oh God, may it fill us with joy today knowing, Lord, what you have done for us. And Lord, as we hunger and thirst after righteousness, Lord, I pray that you would fill us. Fill us, oh Lord. Change us, Lord, by your word today. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Today we are in Psalm number 8. Everybody say Psalm number 8. I'm calling Psalm 8 Praise. My sermon today is called Praise. What do you think we're going to be talking about today? Praise. Praise. To the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray today that your people would understand better what it means to praise you. Lord, you have commanded us to do it, and we don't even understand it. And Lord, I pray today that as we look into it, as we look into your word, as we look into this psalm, that our eyes would be open, that our hearts would be changed, and that we would see indeed that it is a wonderful thing and a beautiful thing, that praise indeed is beautiful, as your word says, and that we would beautify our lives with praise. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The scriptures talk about loving the Lord God with all of our mind. Right? And we got that, and we've been talking a lot as we've been introducing these psalms, the beginning psalms of the Psalter. And we get in here and we've been talking about the heart. Everybody say the heart. But we're moving on to our bodies. Everybody say our bodies. God wants us to worship him. Are you starting to see a theme here? Is there anything God doesn't want that is you? He wants all of you. He wants your heart. He wants your intellect. And he wants your body. The Bible says that I have been bought with a price, the Apostle Paul said. Therefore, glorify God with my body. It belongs to God. The Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Spirit of God that is dwelling inside a temple today, but it's not in Jerusalem. It's sitting right here. And as we gather together, we are here in our bodies. We're not only here in our minds. It's not enough to be here online. 
to be live streaming, but to be here with our minds and our hearts and our bodies. Psalm 8 is a psalm of praise, an exclamation of the greatness and the excellency of God. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. As David shouts out in one oh, Psalm 107 verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I hear men talking and they praise good books. They say, oh, I have a really good book and you should read this book. It's great. I know a good author. Oh, he writes wonderful things. I love it in their praising authors. I hear men talking about good movies and they say, oh man, it really moved me and it was touching and it was interesting. You should look into that. You should take some time to watch that. Even a good TV series. Oh, you should see. It just goes on and on and keeps you at the end uh, of your, your just, whoa, you know, by the, oh, it just, it's just fantastic. When we gather on the Lord's Day together, I hear praise of men going forth. Oh, oh, I like that outfit that you have, Beetle. You look so lovely today in that blouse. Oh, that food. Oh, that barbecued chicken was fantastic. Uh, that smoked chicken that Heath Goldsmith labored over with love and, and, and wrung all of his love right into the smoked chicken that they brought and put right in front of me. Woo! Praise God. <laughs> all that is well and good, but oh, everybody say, oh! Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. All oh, that men would be on this day above all others flowing and overflowing with the praises of God. Let me tell you about how God has been good to me this week. Let me tell you about how Jesus saved me. Let me tell you how kind has God has been to me throughout my life or even in this very week. Fill in the blank. You might want to try a little of that on today. Oh, God's been good. Oh, let me tell you what he did for me this week. You know, I didn't think God, you know, I think I always forget that God cares about me. But to this week, I, I went to the library and, and boom, Ashley was right there. And, you know, we got to talk and I just began to thank God for, oh, thank God for giving me a sweet sister like Ashley. Folks, praise God with your mouths. How many of you use your mouth for a whole lot of things? How many would like for your mouth to be used a whole lot more in praise to God. You know, sometimes we want to be teachers. We want to tell people. We want to tell them what the Bible says. And we want to tell them something clever. How about just fill in a lot more space with uh, talking about how good he is. How wonderful he is. You know, that's what testimony is all about. Testimony is saying what God has done for you. You don't have to be a theologian to do that, right? You can say, you know what? Let me tell you about... When the Lord found me, when he loved me, when he saved me, oh, he's so good. I'll tell you what, when you start talking about God's goodness, something will begin to happen inside of you. You don't have to say, oh, you need to go to church, or oh, you need to be like me, or oh, you need to have a million children, or oh, you ought to do this. No, forget that. Those are things we do because we love him, but when we love him, we should be talking about it. I love it when I'm around a woman and she tells me about her husband. 
and how wise he is or how smart he is or how godly he is. I love it. Makes me think that woman's a good woman. But there's nothing more wonderful that can be coming out of our mouths and how good our heavenly father is. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to all of us. May our church conversation, may our songs, may our stories converge on this one thing more than any other. God is good. God is good to me. God is good to his children. God has been good. God is good right now in the midst of whatever I'm going through. God is working all things for my good and in my future. He's past, present, and future right now. He will be tomorrow and he has been good. That's what praise can be with your mouth. God is truly good all of the time. All oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his works to the children of men. That's what David is doing here in Psalm 8. This lovely psalm of praise to his great God. He doesn't start the psalm telling us anything that God has done in particular. I think this is interesting. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you know, God did this thing for me and he's good. He answered this prayer for me and oh, he's good. Uh, I saw the sun rise this morning and it reminded me. Oh, he's good. No, David just starts out and he says, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glories above the heavens. You see, God didn't have to have ever made anything that you saw to be good. He didn't ever have to do anything for you to be good. God was good all by himself in eternity in heaven and the grandeur of his holiness is unimaginable. He doesn't start the psalm telling us this. He shouts out the truth, raging out of the river of his thankful heart. That is what God does in us. That is what praise is. It is our confession that God is good, that he is excellent, and that his name is above all names. Before we even get to the inspired, or before we get into the, the praise itself, we get to the inspired heading given to us. For Psalm 8, it introduces a new world to us again. One we are not familiar with. One we haven't heard in God's book of praise and worship. So far in the Psalms, you might remember, and maybe you're writing these things down. I don't know. It'd kind of be a fun little exercise to, to, to ask your kids and to quiz them. If they're learning about these things, maybe you ought to quiz yourself. Remember we talked about, you know what a megabyte is and a terabyte and you know what you know, Facebook and YouTube and this series and that, you know, all about all that, right? But who, but who knows what Naganoth and who's what Neholith and who knows what Shemineth, right? These are, these are things that are in the inspired text of the word of God. And maybe we don't even know what they are. We remembered in uh, the book of Psalms, as we, we talked about Naganoth, the stringed instruments, everybody say stringed instruments. We heard about that in Psalm 5. And we get to Neholith, which means praising him on wind instruments. Then in Psalm 6, written for the chief musician on stringed instruments with deep tones of depth of sorrow, we learned about Naganoth and Shemineth. Last week we learned about a Shigayan reeling about, knocked off of our feet, a psalm inspired when we are dazed and we really don't even know how to recover ourselves and we... Give even that to the Lord. 
And now here we are in Psalm 8, yet another new, more specific description to the chief musician upon Gittith. So we have a lot of new, we've learned a lot of new words here in just a short amount of time. Now, some of you might be wondering what I got up here. And no, we're not going to do Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Uh, Although if I could, I probably would try it. Uh, I like to hear it. I enjoyed hearing those Cusel boys play in their home the other day, and uh, I made a joke. What are you going to do, Foggy Mountain Breakdown next? And they went, and they just started in on it, you know. So, you know, I don't know what's happening over here. We have the, um, well, I I didn't break anything, but your, your deal fell off. But I'm holding this up because a gittif is a liar. Everybody say a liar. Now, I don't mean liar like someone that doesn't tell the truth, but the the Hebrew word for a liar uh, is what you might think of as a harp, but a little one, okay? And the reason I'm holding this banjo, you have to sort of imagine the banjo cut off about right here. A liar has a resonating uh, body like this, okay? And it has strings. Now, it has more strings than this banjo, but it's kind of held like this, and it's short, and there's all different kinds of them, okay? And so they, they would hold it here against their chest and it would be short, and this is what a liar is. Now, uh, more specifically, um, so, so, but it, it doesn't sound like this probably, okay? That's probably not the sound that it would be. Might be closer to that one, Okay. Now the harp, the, the lyre that this psalm was meant to be put on was probably a 10-stringed or even a 12-stringed lyre. And that sound that comes with it, for this song of praise based on what we were learning, go ahead, Sarah. It's a song of joy. It's a song of Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. It's a song of lightness, a song of joy, a song of celebration, a song that when you wake up in the morning and you come outside and the sun is rising, you hold out your hands to God. Oh, Lord, we praise your name. Oh, Lord. We magnify your name, Prince of Peace. Right, you guys know the song, O Lord? The words from, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name, come from this. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, all the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. Oh, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. And he goes on, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now you see, what do I want to do when I say that? Can you see what I'm doing? Why am I doing this? What's going on with that? Is this just cultural? Is this just, or is this, what is this? I mean, do you ever want to do that? 
Do you, do you ever, you know, you can just say, oh Lord, oh Lord, how excellent. But if you go, oh Lord, oh Lord, come on now, just do it with me. Put your hands out. Try it. Oh Lord, oh Lord. I mean, doesn't it kind of feel like maybe something you, you know, maybe some of you go, that just feels weird. I think I just hit somebody in the face next door to me. You know, I, I don't know. Okay. But what praise is, is praise is not just something you think about. Praise is something you give yourself to. There was one of the young girls who was kind of uh, making a, a little bit, not, not a fun, but they were, they were enjoying my wife. Uh, and they were like, Sister Robinette, she, you know, she's, and I think she was doing this or something. I don't know what the, the, the little girl was doing, you know. What's going on? Well, what it is is that Mrs. Robinette is praising God. That's what she's doing. She's praising God because she loves God. Not just with her mind, not just with her heart, but what? With her with her body and she you know when the bible tells us that when wind blows on the grass when the grass does this what's the grass doing the grass is worshiping when the wind blows in the trees and the trees do the and they're moving they're saying oh the, like the trees the bible says when the 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 river when they when it claps against the rocks the when it when it comes on the beach and it makes that noise what is it doing in the motion that it's doing it's it's worshiping why uh, because it's God's creation. That's what it's doing. That's what God's creation does. It worships God. An ancient oral version of the Bible chanted by Jews called the Targum was never meant to be written down. And Jews for thousands of years or a really, really long time, I don't know the exact amount of time, they had a version of the Bible that they could just chant, 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 and they memorize it so that they could know all of God's Word. Well, recently somebody decided they ought to write it down. And in, in the Targum, it says that Psalm 8 was written for praise on a lyre that was brought from Gath, and it was written by David. Now, this is not God's inspired Word, so we're not going to camp out on that too much. But sometimes even non-inspired things can help us to learn historical things that may or may not be true. And in this, you know, David was a musician and David loved God. And Nathaniel was helping me remember we were just talking about this as I was studying this. And he said, well, yeah, yeah, David did. He went to Gath. Remember that? And he and he ended up acting like a crazy person the one time. And another time we know he went to Gath when he was seeking refuge as he was running away from Saul. So we know there are at least a few times that he was there. And Gath being the um, center of the king of the 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 kingdom of the Philistines, Gath is where these you know it's the capital, kind of the New York City of the Philistines. It's the Washington D.C. of the Philistines or whatever. Uh, Gath. And so, if you know this heart came from there, and of course it's when you say Goliath, you say Goliath of of Gath. It would kind of be neat, you know, if this harp, this he brings back on one of his journeys, he brings back a Philistine harp. Could you imagine this? And you're, it's reminding you, it's like, you know what, this came from Gath. You know who came from Gath too. Come on now, you know. And, he, and he's like, he's, he's excited for what God has done. Even in just the instrument he's holding in his hand, it says, this is a Philistine liar. And everybody knows that God has given him victory over the Philistines and God gave him victory over Goliath and God delivered him from King Achish and God brought deliverance in Ziklag of the Philistines. Even the instrument itself, just being there might have been another way to praise God. 
Nonetheless, the psalm is on a lyre. And this playing was packed with joyful praise and exuberant thanksgiving for God. It's wonderful to have things, but it's another thing to have things that have meaning to them. You know, you can go into a chain restaurant today and it will be made up like an Irish pub. And they'll have whatever on the wall there. And, and all that stuff is put there by a decorator that they got from somewhere. But if you go to Ireland, you know why they're decorating a pub in America like this. Because in there, they have a thing from when so-and-so caught a fish. And they have a thing from when so-and-so won the Grand National uh, Hurling event. And they had the broken stick that was broken over the head of so-and-so in the middle of it in his bloody shirt. And they have it on the wall and all over these places because they want to be surrounded with who they are. This is who I am. This is what God has done in my life. If you've been to the Robinette's house, we're not trying to open up a curio shop or to make you curious. We like to surround ourselves with who we are. We like to remember what God has done. And we like to remember where we've been. And we like to remember who our family is. And we like to remember that time we were here and we're there. And so you wonder what's going on over there. Now I'm not telling you you should do like that. But don't think that we're just collecting things so we can dust around them. Or we're trying to be like the person that has you know, meaningful things. That We have meaning in our lives. That's why we have our house jam-packed with meaningful things. Verse 1, remember there were no verses. This is something I haven't pointed out in a while. Maybe you might have forgotten. There are no verses in the Bible. There were no verses in the Psalms. It wasn't Psalm 8, verse 1. Psalm 8, verse 2. There were no 8s. There were no 1s. Well, there, there were no 1s and 2s and 3s in the verses. There was just one great song of praise. Not only were there no verses, there was also no something else in there that we're going to find out. But there are lots of these things in the translations we had. Now let's take a look. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Now, if you're not reading along with me in your Bibles, which I know a lot of you don't do, you may have missed at the end of the first phrase, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. There is an exclamation point. Everybody say exclamation point. Now, you may have found out that Pastor Mark is a little exclamation point crazy. If you get text messages from me, I'll be like, ah, blah, and then I put that on the end. Why? Because that's how I feel. That's why I do it. If there was something bigger, if there was, a, if there was a small, medium, and large exclamation point, I would probably use all of them. I would probably use emojis. And, and as you are finding out, I kind of like those, okay? So there were no emojis in Hebrew, and there were no exclamation points in Hebrew. In fact, there are no punctuation marks at all. When you see a question mark in the scripture, it's not because there was one in Hebrew. It's because the person is asking a question. And in English, we put a question mark. There are no exclamation points in Hebrew, but when someone is exclaiming something that they're obviously excited about and needs an exclamation point, they will put one there. And yet there is certainly no doubt here that even though there wasn't one in Hebrew, having one here at the end of this sentence is, it works quite well. Now this is the second time we've seen an exclamation point so far in the book of Psalms. The first was one, Psalm 3.1, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? And so they, you hear the drama, the exclamation of his trouble in Psalm 3. 
So it's not as though somehow they shouldn't be there. Now there's also something else happening in the opening words of Psalm 8 that has happened in other Psalms, but I haven't pointed it out. But I'm going to point it out for you. And you also have to be looking at your Bibles to see this. You know, there's so much in God's Word and there's so much even in the Bible we hold in our hands that we kind of miss. Like, like maybe the inspired headings. You thought maybe, you know, William Tyndale wrote at the bottom a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. But now we know that that's been in that Psalm forever since it was made. But this thing here in Psalm 8, we're going to say, say it with me, O Lord, our Lord. O Lord, our Lord. So if you had your Bible and you were looking, there's something in the text here that that you might miss, it's that, oh Lord, everybody say Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Can you see it? If you got your Bible, do you see it in there? Oh Lord, with all capitals. And you might want to say, well, what's that? What's that all about? What's that? Is that just another thing that shouldn't be in there? No, no, it's actually very purposeful. And right after, oh Lord, our Lord, why would, why would anyone say Lord, our Lord? Well, you see, because they have different words here. We have Lord and Lord in a row, but that's not what the Hebrew is saying, okay? There's more to, oh, Lord, our Lord, than just someone repeating Lord twice in a row. It's, oh, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, because in the Bible, whenever the name of God is mentioned, Yahweh, everybody say Yahweh, when the name of God, Yahweh, is mentioned in Hebrew, you will have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And when other words are used for Lord, depending on which ones, you will either have a lowercase L for Lord, L-O-R-D, or an uppercase L-O-R-D. And in this case, it's Adonai. Everybody say Adonai. Adonai is Lord as in... Um, Jonathan is the Lord of Clark Manor. And, you know, one day he'll have his own little fiefdom, you know, and he'll have all of his people there, and he'll probably have a lake like his dad, and he'll have like three million acres, you know, and he will come out in his smoking jacket, and he will put his foot on the rail, and he will, he will say, top of the morning to you, right? Something like that. And they will say, who's that? And they'll say, that's Lord Clark. Oh, okay. He's in charge of everything, of all the acres and of all of that. He is the Lord, small l. Everybody say small l. But this is not Lord, small l, because it's Adonai. So what is it saying? But you can be Adonai. That is, like you could be uh, Adonai Clark. Okay? But it's not with a capital L. It is the Lord. Everybody say the Lord. When you do proper nouns, you can say so-and-so... Uh, a president, or you could say somebody is the president. And we know what the president is, right? In America, you can be the president of city council, right? Uh, but if you want to be the president, right, it's a whole different thing. So we have the difference of, so we have Lord as in Yahweh, and we have Lord as in Adonai. Now, there was something else I was wanting to tell you about this. Now, Yahweh, and it's funny, we don't use this word. How many of you use Yahweh in your actual conversations? We never do. And, and I kind of wrote this down. I said, you know, if I started using Yahweh, and you did, people would come to our church and they would think we were a bunch of weirdos, right? Come on. You ever been around people and instead of saying Jesus, they say Yeshua, and you're like, oh, come on. You know, what's going on with that? <laughs> what's going on with that is they're just pronouncing Jesus the way Jesus pronounced it. 
So they're not really so weird. Now, I, you know, you go, oh, but we need another thing to make our church weird. Oh, please, Pastor Mark, don't do it. I'm not proposing us getting weird, but I am saying uh, Yahweh is the name of God. Now, growing up, I didn't, this is not what we were taught. We were taught that Jesus was the name of God because we were anti-Trinitarian. We had some strange doctrine, but they knew God's name. God's name is Yahweh. And when the Hebrew uh, letters, there are no vowels, so I could spell it Yahweh. If you, if, you're, if you have a notepad and you want to write it down, Yahweh is Y-A-H-W-E-H. Okay, but that's not really how you spell it because Hebrew doesn't have vowels. That's another thing that, that Hebrew doesn't have. And so Yahweh is Y-H-W-Y. And you've seen this before. Have you guys seen it? Y-H-W-Y? That's Yahweh. That's how, that's how Yahweh is written in Hebrew. And that is called the Tetragrammaton. That's a big word. You guys are learning, you guys have fun learning some theology today. Tetragrammaton. And Tetragrammaton means made of four letters. And so Yahweh is the four letters Y H W Y Yahweh. Okay? Is it fun learning new stuff? I know I don't normally do that. I know you hardly ever teach you anything new, but I just wanted to go ahead and throw that out there just for, just for you. Now, the most religiously pious of the Jews, those who followed the Talmudic Jewish traditions, which would have been like the Pharisees, they don't even say Yahweh. Like, they know that God's name is Yahweh, but they don't say it. Now, why would that be, Derek? Why in the world would they not say the name of God? Now, you have to understand the way Jews are. Jews are, and I'm not really asking you to answer the question, but the reason why they don't say it kind of flows from the fact that they have really bad theology. And they went about things in a way that actually we can be tempted to go about. What does the, what does the Bible say? What does one of the commands say about the name of the Lord? Don't do what? Do not... Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So they solved this problem. What we'll do is we won't say it at all. And if we don't say it at all, how could we possibly take it in vain? Now, is this how we should go about our lives? Everybody say, no, this is not how we should go about our lives. Yeah, people do the thing where they, they the Bible says don't be drunk. So they go, I can solve that problem. I'm not going to drink, right? People will say, well, you know, uh, we shouldn't get carried away and, and be, you know, led off into silliness by our emotions, right? And so what do they do? They say, well, let's just not have any. We'll, we'll fix that problem. We'll make sure we don't get carried away because we're not going to be emotional, okay? There are many things that we do that are very silly, because we are afraid of finding the balance. God wants us to say his name. It's written in the Bible. We're supposed to read it. They wouldn't even read it. They, Paul, they would get up in their butt. And when they got to that part, they'd just go, and they wouldn't say it. And so then what they started doing is they started making up phrases that they would put. Wherever the Bible said Yahweh, they just wouldn't read it. They would say, the Holy One, blessed is he. Or they would say, my Lord. You know, they would get to and they'd see Yahweh, but they, they're not going to say it because they don't want to do what? They don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain. So let's just not ever say it. And then they would just say the name. So they would go, uh, it would, in the Bible, would say, bless Yahweh. And they would say, bless, you know, the name. Right? 
Okay? This is an important thing to understand about the Jews. It's an important uh, theological point and a, a place to help us not go there. We don't just not do what we're worried we're going to do wrong. We can't just not praise God because we're afraid we're going to praise Him like the crazy people do praise God. And they loop and they go crazy and they swing from chandeliers and foam at the mouth like dogs. Because there are nutcases who go crazy and end up worshiping worship doesn't mean we should be afraid of doing what God's Word tells us to do. So let's go back to David here for a second. Here's what David said here in Psalm 8. Yahweh, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. The second Lord here, as I told you, this Lord, which means to rule over, proclaims that Yahweh is the Lord God of heaven and of us. Here on earth, because isn't that where he says it? Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. We know he's excellent of heaven, but he's excellent here on earth. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. He lifts up his voice and prays to God, not for anything that he's done, but because he's God and he is Lord over all. You know, belief in God is not enough. The devils tremble, right? Doesn't it say that? Doesn't it say the devils believe in one God, right? Do they not? And they tremble. That's what James tells us. But is God with a capital, is, the, is Jesus, is our Yahweh Lord with a capital L over our lives? That's really the question here. We want to proclaim lordship in the earth over all the earth, but we have often not surrendered the ground of our own hearts and our lives to God. Is He your Lord? Last, when we got together and I was wanting people to come and say, you know, He's Lord. The Bible says, you can't say He's Lord without the Holy Spirit. What is He saying? His Lordship is a spiritual reality that we confess with our mouths as we live out. Part of the, the thing we do with our body is with our mouth. And that's what some of you are doing. Who are you? Who is he? What is God? And we proclaim it. You can say it's not enough to know it. We need to say it. That's what praise is. Praise is saying he's Lord. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of my finances, of my marriage, of my children, of my education, of everything that I'm doing, of my future. God is Lord of that. Amen? Can you proclaim what David proclaimed here in Psalm 8 joyfully? Or is your life really a testimony of your sin and taking the name of the Lord in vain? You say He's your Lord, but He's really not. It's a piety that we do. We walk around with our shirts buttoned up and our nice outfit on Sunday and, and we're here as though He's our Lord. When He's not. When you get down into what you're going to do with your life and what you're going to do with your time and what's important to you, you guard that and you run that. Maybe some of you even run that for your children. But what we need to be leading them to isn't that mom and dad are the lords of your life, but that Jesus is Lord. Amen? And as young men become men, they've got to follow Him as Lord, not us. 
My, my boys, they're not boys anymore. My older boys, those are men. Now they can honor me, but, but Jesus better be Lord. I'm not their Lord. I'm Lord over the house. I'm in there, you know. And if they want to drink all my orange juice and they want to not make their bed, you can better believe it. I may chase them around and whack them upside the head and tell them to be nice to their mom. I'm Lord with a small L. But what God is doing in their life, the big God with the big G, with the big L, that ought to be my main concern. Have I led them to see that God is Lord over their lives? I mean, I know what it is to control their internet access and to make sure they don't do bad things and all that stuff, but that's just me. In the end, if Jesus is at Lord over them, and if they don't understand that, and if they don't live like that, then God have mercy on them. And all I do by protecting them from, from understanding if that is real is I delay the growing up process in their lives and I stump them to the point where they don't even know what they are. They, we don't want them leaving our homes not knowing who they are. They need to leave our homes with Jesus being the big L Lord over their lives. And it's not because of mom and dad or their church or anyone watching them or making them do it. Each and every young person needs to have Jesus Christ as their Lord. Capital L. Is He Lord over your life? No careful handling of these four letters that make up Yahweh. No pretended submission to Him by telling others He is Lord will do when your own heart and your life are really ruled by self. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. Oh Yahweh, Father, God, Lord over me and over all the earth, how excellent is Thy name. You see, you can't say that if it's not true. You may mouth the words, but your praise is not even real praise to God. He knows if you're Lord over His life. Or you're just following little lords around, whether it be you or your mom and dad even. Now, I'm going to preach for a little while. Are you, are you guys okay? Because we're, we're going we're to do it. When I think of John Calvin, Andy, I think of the most sober-minded, unemotional frozen uh, and probably because it's in these those, it's the pictures they take you guys see he's standing up straight and he's got his little beard right i think that could be what's wrong with presbyterianism is those pictures i mean what would it be you know what would it be like if he was like wearing like a casual shirt i, I don't even know remote cold looking unemotional seeming from history father of the frozen chosen john calvin he might surprise you a little bit if you want to read his commentary on Psalm 8. I read it and I was telling uh, Steve about it yesterday. I'm like, oh man, I said, I got to read this. Because you know what? You guys might be worried about me. But don't worry about me. I'm nobody. I'm just, a, I'm just this guy who lives in Ohio who absolutely knows hardly anything. But Calvin, he knows, right? Can you guys want to hear Calvin, what Calvin has to say about this? Here's what Calvin says about Psalm 8. David here with great propriety, and, and I can actually see him with, you know, being very serious when he's saying this. He expressly celebrates the special favor which God manifests toward mankind. For this, of all the subjects which come under contemplation, is the brightest mirror in which we can behold God's glory. It is, however, strange why he begins the psalm with an exclamation when the usual way is to first give an account of the thing he's praising him for and then magnify him for it in his greatness and excellency. 
But if we remember what is said in other passages of Scripture respecting the impossibility of expressing in words the works of God, we will not be surprised that David, by his exclamation, acknowledges himself unequal to the task of recounting him. Now, I'm okay right now because this really sounds like very, very detached, very unemotional, very intellectual. Calvin is, Calvin's doing his job here. But Calvin goes off the rails, guys. You guys ready to hear Calvin off the rails? He said, besides this, the Holy Spirit who directed David's tongue, doubtless intended by his instrumentality to awaken men from the torpor and indifference which is common to them. You hear what he said? David's trying to get people to become emotional beings who want to praise God with their heart and their minds and their bodies. To awaken men from the torpor. Do you guys know what torpor is? Torpor is hibernation. You go into a bear's den and you can kind of fuller, you can like slap him upside the head. He's in his You guys have seen probably your dad, voices, you've seen him. He's he's worked hard. He's like, he's like laid out on the couch. You're like, this is neat, you know, and you're just like, you know, whatever, right? Awaken men from the torpor and indifference which is common to them, so that they may not content themselves with celebrating the infinite love of God the innumerable benefits which they receive in their sparing and frigid manner. But they may rather apply their whole hearts to this holy experience and put it forth to their highest efforts. That wasn't Pastor Mark. That was John Calvin. This exclamation of David implies that when all the faculties of the human mind are exerted to the uttermost in meditation on the subject, they fall far Sure, what he's saying is there's a limit to what a man can do in his mind for God. He's great, right? What if, what if your wife's love and devotion for you was limited to her mind? I think Steve's great. I'm never going to touch him and I'm never going to let him know and I'm never going to show him affection. Don't you know how great I think you are? And Steve's like, I'd really like to know. <laughs> Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? This is not a question. Who has set thy glory above the heavens is a statement. Lord, oh, Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has? He has set his glories above all the earth, above the heavens. Now, to hear that God glorifies himself, Jacob, might be strange because when a person goes and glorifies themselves, right? When they go around going, I'm like the greatest preacher ever. Like, don't you guys like my outfit? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm so smart. I mean, how many people like it when people are like that? I don't like it. And they go, you know, I just like to, I would like to gather today to everyone to talk about me and about my greatness. I mean, you'd be like, right? Nobody would want that, right? Now, there are comedians who do it, and they're pretty funny at it. But, but, you know, Rush Limbaugh does it. You know, he's so great. He does this to be silly. So when we talk about God glorifying himself, I remember the first time I heard somebody talk about God glorifying himself. I'm like, it almost sounds prideful. God wants us to think he's great. Well, he is great. Do you understand why it's silly when men do it? Men are not great. But what can God do but tell you that he is? Why? Because he is great. That's why. 
You see, it's not true that man should be glorified. It's not true that he's great. It's not true that he doesn't need anything. It's not true that all of his works are great. That's not true, but it is true of God. And so what God does is he sets his glory above the heavens. God's glory, God is concerned about it. God wants you to be aware of it. He wants you to be praising it. He wants you to be recognizing it. Why? Because it's the only thing worthy of it. God does not point us to his creation. He points us to himself. O Lord God of all creation, O Lord and Master, the ruler of all things, and our hearts too, we marvel at the excellence that is you. Your name is to be praised in all the earth. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. What curious words these are. They're certainly not the words that first come to my mind when I'm thinking about the greatness and the power and the strength of God and all that He's done. I don't think of babies, of infant babies who are sucking on uh, their mother's milk. They're, 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 they're still there in their infancy nursing from their mothers. It's not really the first thought that comes to my mind about greatness. What a curious thing to put there. And he puts that the, the, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. When I think of defeating my enemies, I don't think about the little infant babies in the church here. Do you? I don't. But David did. David is, oh Lord, our oh Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Let's talk about babies. Let's talk about infants. Let's talk about nursing children. Woo! I mean, that's a left turn. I'm just telling you right now. What, in the, what, what, what is he talking about? David is understanding something here. He is being led by the Holy Spirit of God to say something so strange. Don't miss it. Don't, don't read it and just go, oh, yeah, babies. Babies? What in the world? Lord, oh, Lord, I like this holy name on the earth. Who said thy glory about the heavens? Babies. <laughs> I'm so glad for babies because our enemies need to be crushed down and destroyed and silenced. We have nursing children for that. <laughs> that should, you, should, you should read this and go, what in the world is he talking about? Jesus helps us understand the better these strange words of the psalmist. He seems to allude to them once in Matthew eleven twenty five When he's praying, he said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babies. <laughs> What's he saying? Oh, he's explaining this great power that men are weak, that men are unable, that men are powerless. But what God has done, he's taken the weak things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise that no flesh should glory. He's saying, you know, when we praise, we can't even, we can't even glory in that we're doing that. Later on, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. You guys remember this? It's Palm Sunday. He rides into Jerusalem. His triumphal entry. People were laying down palm branches, crying out in words of praise to him. And for some context, I'll read to you Luke 19. And when he was come nigh, this is Luke 19, 37 through 40. When he was come nigh, even at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. rejoice. And to praise God. Say praise God. praise God. 
with loud voices. Everybody say loud voices. For all the mighty works that they had seen. So, th- so what are they doing, guys? They've seen him raising the dead, and they've seen him walking on the water, and they've seen him multiplying the loaves and the fishes and feeding the 5,000. They're watching all this stuff, and they're praising in a loud voice, and they're crying out, and they're praising God, and they're doing it in a joyful manner. Now, Jesus didn't like this. He told them to settle down. Is that what happened? Mm-mm. Here's what they did. Here's exactly what they said. They said, blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And they weren't doing it quietly. And some of the Pharisees said, I don't like this. They need to shut up. They need to be quiet. They need to act like they have some sense of of decorum. and, And this is just not how it's done. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and he said to them, I'll tell you what. If these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, God needs to be praised. He will be praised. And if people won't do it, rocks will. Now, guys, that's not like, that's not like, you know, I'd like to tell you something good, like maybe giving birth at home. You know, you know, it's a great thing. You know, it's really nice. And, and we should get to the pool. And, and, you know, the nurses are just, you know, they're not, they're not driving you crazy. It's great to have a midwife. That's nice, okay? Jesus is saying, he didn't say, if you do not give birth at home, the rocks will, you know, drag you to back home. And No. If you do not, if these people were not praising God... The rocks would do it. This is a very extreme statement. Remember we talked about it a few weeks ago. I'm like, can you imagine, Andy, God giving mouths and lungs to rocks? And you might go, well, that's hyperbole. It's God speaking here. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not hyperbole. In fact, God took dust and he made people. Didn't he do that one time? He could make a rock cry out. God must be praised. They praised Jesus that day with loud voices, rejoicing, lifting up his name, the glory of his name. People didn't like it, but Jesus let them know that it was not only a good thing, it was necessary. Everybody say necessary. Necessary. Praising God is an essential, necessary part of following God. It's not just a sideline issue. It is essential and necessary if he lives in your heart if he saved your soul if you've gotten a new heart from god you should be people that say god is great and he's greatly to be praised he is lord of my life he's lord of the world and you should go around telling everybody how good he is how many of you are rocks taking your place you won't have to because i can tell you right now i'm going to praise god And a lot of people are doing it. Are you doing it? Matthew 21, Jesus went to the temple. He says, same time, same exact time. He went to the temple and he cast all those that sold things in the temple. And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So he was outside the house, but now where's he going, guys? He's going... So we know it's okay that they were loud out there, right? They were outside the house praising and yelling and calling out and saying how great he was and they were doing it at a joyful noise, but that was outside the house. 
So maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's what we're looking for here. Maybe not. Verse 14. So the blind and the lame came in the temple. And he healed them. Can you imagine this day? He's overturned the tables of the money thing. He's come in riding, you know, on this donkey. And he's coming in. And now blind and lame are coming in the temple. This, they shouldn't have been in there. So, what, so Jesus fixed that. They weren't blind and lame anymore. That's what God does. We don't belong here. We don't belong in heaven. They didn't belong in the temple that day. And he said, I'm going to fix that. And he heals them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, this is one of the saddest, and it's one of the saddest places in the Bible to me. When, he, when, the, when they saw that, it upset them. They were more concerned about the lame and the blind being in the temple than they were. The, the Messiah was in there. And that they were being healed. And that they were the wonderful works of God. And they shut their mouths to praise they didn't go, oh, this was wonderful. Oh, look at these things. Oh, how amazing it is. Oh, what a great God. What they said was, this isn't right. But the little kids who followed it and were watching what was going on, they didn't know any better. The Bible tells us, you know, could you imagine, could you boys imagine being those kids? Could you imagine following Jesus in there and watching it and watching the blind being healed and, and a man that you knew that was lame, you watched God just give strength to his legs. What would you do if you were little children and you saw that? You'd be like, Woohoo! <laughs> Look at this! Look what God is doing! What a wonderful thing! And they're like, Hosanna! 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 Our Messiah has come! He's here! And they're crying. And the Pharisees, they not only didn't like what they saw about the lame and the blind being in there and Jesus healing them the children began crying in the temple and saying Hosanna to the son of David next phrase so sad and the Pharisees were sore displeased and they were worried that the words he was the words the children they weren't the right words those are words we don't sing here in the temple What they're saying, and we don't like it. Hear thou what these children are saying, they ask Jesus. And Jesus replies this way. He says, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise? Well, that's not what we read in Psalm 8, was it? It says... Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained what? Strength. But who do you think understood Psalm 8 better than anybody? Jesus. And Jesus is helping us understand what David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was saying. And I, I didn't, I, 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 have, I still have a lot I got to get to, but I, I have to throw this in here. Calvin said something so beautiful. I'm so thankful for Calvin taking the time to write stuff down. He said, when a baby is born, he said, he can't say a word. And I thought that was going to be at Elaine. I thought, you know, he can't say a word, but his very noise are praise to God. And I'm like, man, that's going to be good. But he went further. He goes, you know, he said, when a baby is born, nobody has to teach the baby's tongue to suck. 
And if, you, if you've ever tried to feed a baby or you, the people that, babies that are tongue-tied and that are difficult, you understand that nursing a baby is all about the ability of your tongue to do certain things in your mouth to create suction so that it can eat. That is something that they don't, babies don't have to learn how to do. Calvin says, God taught them this. And they get their nourishment from their mothers and they don't need to be taught this. And he's explaining that when men are born, they don't need to be taught to do what they will do with their bodies. They will go, oh God. The kids, when they raise up their hands and they cry out. Loud voices praising God, crying out inside the temple. It was, was this appropriate only outside God's house? Or maybe that was their objection. Jesus sets them straight. He quotes from Psalm 8 and makes it clear. What they were doing is what we are to do. What we were made to do everywhere, even in God's house. It seems to me, especially in God's house. By men, women, and children alike. You don't need a degree or a special license or need to be born a certain exact way to praise God. You're born and you already know what to do. So what is praise anyway? It used to, if you think of it in the English language and we just used it like that, it would be to tell somebody they look nice. Hey, I like your sweater. Hey, I like your nice smile to praise. But that's only a small part of it what God wants from us, what He wants to flow from our great love for Yahweh, our glorious God, who is Lord over our lives and over all the earth. And I'm going to try to get quickly through this, but I, I, I got to do it. You, you okay? There are eight words for praise. We, we, just, we just say praise. But God's Word doesn't doesn't have, it has eight different words. And the words themselves, by their very definition, tell us what praise is, right? So we have eight words for praise. Well, what in the world do they mean? And I'm, I'm going to come through these quickly. If you, wanna, if you want this later, I'll send it to you. The first and most common Hebrew word for praise is halah. Everybody say halah. halah. Kind of sounds like another word, right? Halah. But it's not, it's not that word. We're going to get to that word. Halah is not that other word. Okay? Halah is like our word for praise, like bragging, boasting, uh, raving about something. This is great. You're a good cook. You're, you look nice. Or just saying, oh God, you're wonderful. Thank you for being kind. And it's a bragging kind of a thing. David praised God with all of his might. If you remember this, in this it says that this praising, this raving can be ridiculous. I've been ridiculous. I've told my wife, I'm like, this is the most amazing food I've ever eaten, never in the history of all my life have my taste buds ever uh, had this kind of a party in my mouth. When I ate the barbecue chicken, it was amazing. And you get a little ridiculous, right? Well, in this halah is this praise and brag bragging that gets a little ridiculous. That's what the Hebrew means, to get a little bit ridiculous in your bragging and your boasting. If you remember David praised God like this, he was a little bit ridiculous. He should have been wearing his his, his robe, his important king robe. He should have been walking, you know, like with a book on his head, with his crown, and he should have been looking stately. But instead, what was he doing? He was leaping, and he was jumping, and he wasn't not wearing any clothes. He just wasn't wearing the clothes they thought he ought to wear. And he's jumping, and he's excited, and he's singing, and he's probably got a harp, and they're like, what kind of a crazy king do we have? I mean, come on! And if you remember, his wife didn't like it. She thought he looked foolish dancing, 
in these common clothes instead of walking in his royal robes in some despicable manner. And she referred to it as vile. Vile. He responded by telling her that if she thought what he had done so far was vile, he was about to become more vile and that he didn't like it and he was going to go out and worship God because he loved God. David loved God not just with his heart but with his with his body. And you know what God thinks about this because what did God do to her who made fun of him? Smote her with barrenness. Never had a child. What did he do? What did he say about David? He liked what David was doing. God's word doesn't go. And he should have straightened up and he should have observed kingly decorum that day. No, God was very pleased with what he did. Psalm 63 says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. Can you hear this ridiculousness, this craziness? Your love is better than life. Like, like better than just being alive, just knowing your love. Ridiculousness. Number two, yada. Say yada. Yada means to worship God with extended hands. Those of you that worry about whether this is a good thing or not can be cured right now because one of the eight words for praise is to hold up your hands. Everybody say, hold up my hands. Now, no one's going to be made to do this. No one's going to be told everybody's got to do this, but it's kind of neat. Isn't it neat when we sing the doxology, we raise our hands. Doesn't it feel great? What are we doing? We're, we're yada. Stand and sing the doxology. Yada. You're raising up our hands. To God. Over and over throughout the Bible it says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Psalm 134, Psalm 43, 2 Chronicles 20, Nehemiah 8, 1 Timothy 2. In this word we see something so lovely and beautiful. It's not a, you know, it's not just some joke or some silly thing we do to be seen. It is our body reaching out to God. If you can do this also in the meaning of this Hebrew word, somehow is packed in there the idea of a child, Luke, that says, oh, Daddy, hold me. Or when, they, when we're hurt and we're injured, what do we do? What, what do they do, Laura? What do they do? They go, yeah, I'm hurt. Or they go, oh, right. And then what they do? That's what they do. Why? Because they, they don't need to be taught to do that. They cry out. They make noises. You don't have, they don't have to tell you. They just go, oh. And they're crying out. This is, this is the word yada. It is this picture of they outstretch arms to the Father. Hold me, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Help me, Daddy. Yada is often translated in giving thanks. It is a cry for help. It is used in praise when we are desperate and we need victory from the Lord. We raise our hand and it is our whole body reaching out to connect with God because we want to touch God. Number three is Barack. Say Barack. Barack. Don't worry about Barack Hussein Obama. But Barak, we can redeem it right now. And if you remember that his name means praise. Barak is a way of blessing the Lord. The most powerful verse in scripture that is very, very difficult for us is that Job offered Barak to the Lord when he lost all of his children in one day. Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. The name of the Lord is to be praised. Barak. Job was calling out. 
He's going in the midst of my pain and my sorrow and my loss for everything that's been taken away from me. It reminds me that God once gave it to me. It is praise from a heart that is crushed and has nothing but remembers everything you did have came from God. Barak. Numbers, number four is Tahilah, which means to sing. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises in song. Psalm 22, 3, Exodus 15, Isaiah 61, Deuteronomy 10. Talah involves music, singing, especially singing. Singing is vital to the worship of God. There are more than 300 Bible commands to sing to God. The word suggests that God himself is our song. I love this verse. One of my favorite verses in the Bible from Isaiah. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength. He has also become my song. What that means is when my voice echoes, when it goes beyond the talk, and when it goes into the realm of singing, that is God is my song. He gives me my breath and my emotion and everything that I have. That is what that Tahilah. If you go ahead and read the rest of that verse, it's powerful. He said, therefore with joy shall you draw waters from the wells of salvation. And in that day you shall say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Sing unto the Lord for he hath done excellent things. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. It's really quiet, but I'm going to say it anyway because I wrote it down. Everybody say, cry out and shout. Isn't that funny how when I whisper it, you can't even do it. You can't even cry out and shout, right? Number five, zamar. Zamar means to pluck the strings of an instrument. And if you are the non-instrumental church of Christ right now, you're having a difficult time. The act of playing an instrument can be praised to God, and it is one of the ways to do it. I was thinking of Matthew Kuzel the other night when he was playing on his guitar, and he's doing that thing. I wish he had his guitar up here, and he was doing that, and he's doing the picking. Do you know you could, you could not say a word at all, and you could get out your, your instrument. You could sit on the piano, Corinne, and you're playing it, and just the playing, you don't have to say anything. Your playing is, oh, God, I love you. You're good. This song is you. You, you know, as you're playing that instrument, Matthew, you could be saying, God, inspire me. Let, my, let the picking of my fingers and the sounds, let it be praise to you, Zamar. Zamar speaks of rejoicing. It's involved in a joyful expression. Zamar is translated, though, in the New Testament, Salo, P-S-A-L-L-O, which means to make melody. The Apostle Paul makes a, uh, a statement in... Uh, Ephesians 5, he says, don't be drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And he says to be filled with the Spirit is what? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, the problem with this is it's in the New Testament and it uses the word for praise that means to do it with an instrument. And so the non-instrumental guys have to come up with an elaborate uh, 200 page explanation on why it really doesn't mean what it actually means in order to keep instruments from praising God in their churches. May God have mercy on our brothers and sisters. 
Number six, todah. Todah means to shout or to address with a loud voice, but it goes actually further. It includes an attitude of gratitude for God's promised deliverance. Kind of like you ever hear good news about somebody? You, and what do you do? Come on, Ash, you know, where's Ash? Where, where's she at? We, we would always have to be careful where we told Ashley good news. Because she'd go, ah! and she'd like stomp her feet like that, right? What is she doing? She's not going, you know, I'm very excited to hear that so-and-so is finally in. She's, ah! She's excited. Okay, that's what todah, todah is to explode with the joy and the excitement in a loud voice. That's what they were doing on that day when Jesus came in his triumphal entry. They were crying out loud. They were saying, oh, Hosanna, it's the son of David. He's coming. And they're like, they need to really settle down. It even, it even bothered the disciples when blind Bartimaeus did it. You remember that? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they told him, you need to be quiet. You're embarrassing us. I mean, some people have done this to me at a restaurant. They're like, you need to calm down, Mark. I'm like, why do I need to calm down? I'm excited. Someone's going to hear you. But what did, what did he do? He cried all the, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus kind of, what, what do you need? Be merciful to me, O God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, O God, whose word I praise. All day long, they twist my words, they conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps. But you, O God, are going to save me. Psalm 56. Number seven is Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. Shabbat is another word for shouting. So there are two words so far that are shouting out loud. To shout out loud and address. For an example, if you recall the pagan king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Remember when he was struck insane by God because of his pride? Everybody remember that? When God restored his sanity seven years ago, he said, thanks God, I really appreciate it. I've been insane for seven years eating grass. I really appreciate now being restored to my kingdom. Is that what he did? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify. And the word... Shabbat, I praise. He's saying, God, I now shout your praises. You're glorious. You're magnificent. I exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. All his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He was talking about himself. God, you humble me. And I'm glad that you raised me up. You know, you, if you say it like that, it's different than when you go, thanks, God, for humbling me. He's shouting his praise because of this. Now, the last one is hallelujah. You guys, number eight, hallelujah. And what's neat about this word is it's not translated as anything but what? Hallelujah. Why? Because the, the, the writers of Hebrew thought it was so great, and the translators, they're like, this word, this word just is its own word. There isn't any word like this in all the world. And now this, world's gonna, this word is going to go into all the world. And how we're going to translate it, we're just not. It's untranslatable. It's a word all of its own. It is hallelujah. So in Russian, you know what it is, Andy? Hallelujah. You know what it is in Hebrew? Hallelujah. You know what it is in English? It's hallelujah. Have you guys ever been in a moment? I remember uh, the other day in Montepi and I'm praying with the Lord. I just remember, I don't even know what they're like. Hallelujah. Why? I don't know what else to say. 
I don't know what else to praise God. All I know is hallelujah. That's what I was feeling at the time. And I'm glad that I yelled it out. It transcends languages of the world. It's not translated. It is transliterated. It comes from the first word of praise we learned. Hallel. Which means to praise. To boast. To brag. But the jaw is short for Jehovah. So it's not just praise. It's not just, uh, you know, bragging. It's bragging on Jehovah. That's what hallelujah. Hallelujah says. is saying God is great. And that's what I was thinking. When I, when I was praying for that woman, remember that? We've got that on videotape. I remember just, I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm seeing the tears in her face. And I'm seeing, so she said something, her, her profession of faith. And I'm just like, Hallelujah! You know, that's all that was coming for me. Oh, God is good. I don't even know what He's doing in her life, but He's good. It is the spontaneous outcry of one who is excited about God. It's only used 24 times in the Old Testament, but they're all between Psalm 104 and Psalm 150. When we get to those verses, when we get from Psalm 104 to 150, there is a fever pitch of praise that goes on in the Psalms. I hope we're ready for it. And you might go, well, what's that mean? I don't know. I want to be people that love God with our minds. I want to be people that love God with our hearts. And the Bible is telling us we need to be people that praise God in our bodies. So what are we going to do? Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise God. He's mighty in the heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and the pipe. Praise Him with the clash of the cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It sounds like somebody's flipping out. Yeah, they are. They are. If there's anything to get flipped out about, if there's anything to get cited about, it ain't Ed McMahon at your doorstep. It isn't that so-and-so is having a baby. It isn't that, oh my goodness, the thing I always hoped for happened to me. It's because we serve a God who is great and he's greatly to be praised. And he made us, if we lose our tongues tomorrow, to praise him with every fiber of whatever we have left with us. I had a moment working on my book. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just share with you as I close today. I've told you guys that story of that girl who I asked if she got a sponsor, what she would do with it. You guys remember me telling you guys that story? When I wrote that story, I thought about that story quite a bit. And when I get to the point, the part that overwhelmed me was that the very first thing she wanted to do after five years of working, volunteering, caring for children, morning, noon, and night, starting at five o'clock in the morning for five years, the very first thing she would do if she had any money would be to give it to pay her tithes, she said. She said, as long as she said, my whole life, I've never earned any money. And it would be my great pleasure to give my money to God. And I remember going, and at first I was like, wow. 
Like, here I am with a desperately poor, never earned any money in her whole life, but who's doing it out of love for God, and all she's missing out on is being able... Her biggest lack that she had at the moment, the first thing she thought of was, do you know what not having money has robbed me from? Giving it to God. Have mercy. I was up here thinking, if I lost my arm, I would regret that I couldn't lift it to God. I would be thankful for the years that he gave it to me. But I would be wondering, oh God, when I get to heaven, I'm going to lift it again to you. May we have passion like that for God. You might go, that's, that's crazy. That kind of passion is a little bit crazy. It kind of sounds to me like the kind of passion that shouts at a wall and it falls down. It's the kind of passion that dances before the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant has been returned to Jerusalem and says, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it because I love God. That's what praise is. And so the question for us today, are we praising God? Is our reservations because of our pride? Psalm 8, a psalm of praise. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all of the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. When I consider thy works, the works of thy hands, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. Oh, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What is the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, but hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast given him dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, and he names them all. The beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, whatsoever passeth under the paths of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Oh, may we be a people who not only believe this in our minds and believe it with our hearts, but we we express it with our mouths and our arms and our hands and our legs and our whole bodies. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Lord, we thank you for giving us arms, not just to bring food to our mouths, not just to shake hands with our brothers or put them around our wives, but Lord, they were given before we knew how to do that or before we knew any of them Lord, we knew how to lift them, to raise them to you. As we were raising our hands in the air, we were calling out for you. Our mother and father answered those prayers by coming, by changing our diapers, by feeding us. But our cry, as our hands were lifted up and our voice came out, our cry was our first prayer to you, O oh God. May we not stop that childlikeness, O oh God. May our cries go up to you and may we remember that you are our Father, our great Yahweh. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Amen. 
Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.